Thank you for listening to audio content from South Cities Church in Lakeville, Minnesota. For more information or resources, visit us online at southcities.church. So Lord, as we come to the end of this book where we've seen all that you've done for us in Christ, where we've seen all that you call us to as yours in Christ, Lord, would we now uh, see what it means to stand in all of that, to stand by your strength in the grace that you supply, to stand in the strength of Jesus, to stand in who we are, and to stand in what you call us to be in this world. So Lord, help us be near to us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is the last sermon in this series. These are Paul's kind of final words, really exhortation to the church in Ephesus, and so we ought to take it as kind of the the final thing he wants them to hear as they're continuing to try to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, knowing who they are in Christ and knowing what they've been called to. And uh, for them, uh, it was probably a landed on them a little bit differently than it landed on us. Ephesus would have been a, a culture that was kind of wide awake to, to spiritual things, right? To transcendence, to, to gods who were everywhere and doing all things. And we live in a culture that doesn't think of the reality of the spiritual realm all too much, right? How do you think of the works of Satan when there's snow on the ground, right? You had to get up and you had to right, uh, scrape your windows this morning if you had a car outside. If you had a garage, I guess you didn't have to do that. Right, but what's most real to us in our world in the day and age we live in is what we can see and what we can taste and what we can touch and what we can feel in the moment. What's most real to us is this kind of world of instant gratification. It's right there, I can see it, I want it now, or it's one click away and I can have it in my hands tomorrow. We could categorize it kind of as a time of imminence rather than a time of transcendence, right? And that's not how all cultures are. But it's really how our culture is. And if we're honest, we're not exempt, right? I've said this before, but we can be so prone to go to Google for our answers before we go to God for our answers, right? To, to spend a bunch of time typing and, and searching all the things rather than going to God in prayer about all the things. We can be prone to problem solving, right? Spreadsheets and ideas and all these things before we go to God, But if we're going to cling to the gospel at South Cities, Paul this morning would have us wake up to the reality that there's a real enemy and he means to conspire with the world and our flesh to actually destroy us. He wants to destroy us. He he actually hates us. And the reason Paul wants them to know that and remember that, even though they've, he's referenced it a few times already in the book, is that he knows that no one wins a game if they're still in bed while it's going on. You can't win a game that you don't even know you're playing, right? You wouldn't want to enter into the ring with a world champion fighter drowsy. (laughs) And that's who Satan is. He's He's a world champion fighter. So we need to be awake and alert. The battle is real and raging every day. C.S. Lewis says this about kind of this topic of the spiritual reality of Satan and the devils that are in the world. He says, there are two equal and opposite heirs into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. 
The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. So we don't want to fall off on either of those ends, like Satan's behind every rock and it's never really our sin, it's just Satan, and yet we don't want to be those who think, well, Satan's really not working anymore, it's just us, we just got to deal with us, and there's no need to fight in the spiritual realms. So Paul is calling us to wake up to the war we're in and to fight the fight of faith against Satan and our own sin and this world that will all conspire to try to undo us. So let's dive in here and see what Paul's final words to this church are. Point number one, Satan and his schemes against us. Verses 11 to 13, read it with me. Paul says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. The the clear command in this passage is stand firm, stand your ground. Don't go anywhere. Don't be moved by the schemes of the devil. And that might be maybe a surprise to us. We don't think about him much, but that the devil has schemes. He has strategies. If you want a good, you know, fictional work on this, the screw tape letters are a great place to go and just see how Satan might tempt you to be undone. And it seems from this passage and others that he's organized his troops There are rulers and authorities and powers and spiritual forces conspiring to make this the evil day that Paul talked about in Ephesians 5. So the first question for ourselves is, are we aware when we wake up that we're walking into an evil day, chapter 5, and a world under the prince of the power of the air, chapter 2, that is scheming, working against your soul? That's what Paul wants us to consider, to be awake to those things. Let me put it this way for you kids. Kids, if you were asleep and there was a lion in the room with you, you wouldn't know you were in danger, would you? You wouldn't know there was a lion there because you'd be asleep. But being asleep wouldn't make it less dangerous. Right? Being asleep would actually make it more dangerous. You wouldn't be able to do anything about that lion. And so Paul doesn't want us to be asleep to the lion that Satan is. So what we should ask then is what are these schemes? Like what are the devil and his dark forces up to? How can we know if Satan's at work in our hearts? How can we know if he's at work in our lives? Let me start by just uh, going to a general place where I think it talks clearly about Satan's heart against the world. So in Revelation 12, In verse 9 and then verse 12, we get this summary of the work and the wrath of the devil. So Revelation 12, verses 9 and verse 12. If you want to turn there, you can. Otherwise, you can just listen closely. Here's what it says. Revelation 12, 9 and then verse 12. The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Then verse 12, this is kind of summing up what he's going to do. It says, Woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows his time is short. So this is a picture of reality right now. This is not some future day. 
This is a picture of reality right now, what, what Satan's trying to do in the world right now. The devil has a goal. What's his goal? To deceive the world, right? To, to trick the world. His goal is to de- destroy as many souls as possible by conspiring with our flesh to convince us that either there's a more freeing way to live or that God can't be trusted or maybe even that God's not real. What a silly crutch to depend on. His goal is to convince believers to be distracted by other things and despair that God's not really for them. His aim is trickery and deceit because he has nothing real to stand on. So he's got to twist things and distort things and take good gifts and make them into something ugly and wicked as he distorts them. He aims to deceive with the goal of hiding or leading away from Jesus, convincing us that Jesus is not worth it, that Jesus is not enough, that Jesus doesn't care. And he's full of wrath. That's what it says. And he's full of wrath because his time is short and he knows it. Right in Colossians, it says that Jesus has put the principalities and powers to open shame at the cross by forgiving sins and therefore taking away the sting of death for all who would trust him. And so Satan has been defeated and embarrassed. His plan didn't work. The final blow has been delivered. And so he is angry and seething and he hates that he's lost. So he's prowling, according to 1 Peter, like a roaring lion. So how might he do this? Do we just have to guess? <laughs> like, hey, is that Satan? Was that him? Was that him showing up there? I don't think we have to guess. I think the Bible, and I'm just going to go to the places where it, it literally talks about, hey, here's the devil at work in the situation. I think we can learn a lot about, if that's going on in my heart, maybe Satan's got a, a place in my heart that I need to rebuke him with the truth of the gospel. So let me just walk you through a few that I think are representative of the way that Satan works. So we can start in the beginning, in Genesis 3, right, Satan shows up to do what? To twist God's word in order to do what? To make Adam and Eve doubt God's goodness. Doubt that God's really for them, that he really loves them, that he really wants what's best for them. And so ask yourself, are there areas in your life right now where you hear the whisper, is God really good? Does he really care for me? Is is his way really best? Or maybe you hear the whisper, disobedience isn't that big of a deal. Just just one bite's not that big of a deal. One more time clicking on that link's not that big of a deal. Just one more time blowing up in anger, not that big of a deal. Are you beginning to hear those things? Satan might be whispering in your ear. What about 1 Chronicles 21? where we see Satan incite King David to pridefully conduct a census. And that might not be something that you have the ability to do very often, to say, I'm going to take a census, right? But man, we can do that as pastors, can't we? Like, how many people were there last weekend? Right, like, how many people are coming, man? Is attendance growing or is it getting smaller, right? Are there areas in your life where you're feeling the longing to validate your importance, Is your identity attached to some success or failure in some area of your life? Some activity or achievement or some area where you haven't achieved what you wanted to? Some win or loss in some area of your life that you're going, if people would just see this, I could have importance, I could feel validation. If that's true, then maybe Satan's 
whispering in your life? Or what about in Job, where we see Satan tempt Job with great suffering and despair that was bringing on him a bunch of judgment from others that he didn't deserve, at times making him literally question God, challenge God. So maybe you're suffering, and I don't want to make light of your suffering. Job's suffering was hard. It was real. But maybe you're suffering in the, just the waves of suffering that keep coming have made you begin to wonder, is God fair? Is God just? Does God see me? Is this right? Would a God, like the one I want to worship, do this to me? Or what about in Zechariah 3.1? where we see Satan show up to accuse one of the Lord's chosen ones who is clothed in filthy garments representing sin. Then God shows up and says, put on clean garments, I'll forgive your sins. But maybe you feel the whisper in your life, God could never love me. I'm too dirty. I've done this too many times. It's been too many years, too many months of this sin. My sin is too great. I'm just too dirty to believe I could be covered in robes of righteousness. You're finding that whisper in your heart. Maybe Satan's whispering and conspiring against you. Or in 2 Corinthians 5, we see Satan tempt the people of Corinth to be harsh, to be unforgiving with someone who has sinned greatly. Do you feel Bitterness rising in your heart towards someone that has sinned against you? Do you feel a sinister, satanic desire to make them pay at least a little? Right? Or to avoid them or to not want to welcome them back into your life? Now, I'm not talking about putting yourself in a situation of danger or foolishly entering back into a relationship where you've been beat up or hurt. I'm just saying, in your heart is bitterness growing, rising in these little offenses. Or what about in Acts 5? We see Satan enter into Ananias to lie about his generosity, tempting him to pride and popularity and importance. Do you feel the sinister desire to have your good works seen by others so that they might praise you, right? Man, did you know what so-and-so did? Man, they're so great, right? And just kind of mention things you did once in a while so just enough people know that you're around. You're doing stuff. You're involved. Or in the temptation of Jesus, in Matthew 4, we see Satan come and tempt him with prestige and power and comfort. Do you feel yourself tempted to trust in the comforts of this life? Like, oh, if I can just get to that next vacation, <laughs> my family can just be a little bit more put together, if I, my job would just be a little bit more stable, if I just had a little bit more money, if I just had a little bit of this or that or this would change, man, it'd all be Okay. Right? None of those things are bad. Good jobs, good families, none of those things are bad. They're just not good gods. Right? They're just not good things to trust in and put our ultimate hope in. Are you longing for power, control? Maybe even just in your parenting or your marriage or your job. Do you despair thinking, I should be further along by now or I should be more recognized by others? If so, then maybe Satan is whispering. Now, those are just the ones that just explicitly there he is, and there's about 20 more I could have listed, but do you see yourself in some of those? <laughs> I saw myself in some of those this week, and I, I hope you can too, and then the goal is you don't get to win. <laughs> what you're saying is not true. You're just trying to lie. It's all a mirage. But we shouldn't underestimate, just because he doesn't have real power, we shouldn't underestimate the power he does have. Right? How powerful is Satan? Well, the Ephesians would have known about this kind of wrathful hate because they would have heard 
of the seven exorcists in their city who had been sent running away naked and wounded by an angry evil spirit. Right, that's how you know you lost a fight. <laughs> if you have to run away without any of your clothes on, you lost the fight, right? And so they would have known Satan's real. He's powerful. He, when, when Peter says like he's, he's seeking to devour like a roaring lion, not playing games. So we shouldn't underestimate his power. Shouldn't take him lightly. And we also shouldn't assume that he's only at work in the really big things, right? It's not like the only time Satan shows up or in those movies where you know that the first priest going in is not in a good spot, right? You feel bad for that guy. You're like, you're the first one. There's no way it's going to go well for you. That's not the only time he shows up, but sometimes that's how we think of him, right? Just like these power clashes and yet the subtle way he influences, the subtle way he controls, the subtle way he works with our own flesh is so much more insidious and sinister. Could it be that he's whispering these things as you harbor anger or frustration and be a part of the culture of gossip against your boss at work? Seeking to ruin your witness and destroy your ability to work hard in a manner worthy of the Lord. Could it be that he's at work as you discipline your kids for things that are really long but just do with a little more harshness to really make them feel Or maybe as you say that sharp word to your spouse or make that gossip-filled comment about someone or before you click on the link on your device and hear just once more. Or maybe after you're done on your device and decide to hide it rather than bring it into the light. Or as you begin to question his goodness in your suffering, Satan is prowling and scheming to destroy our souls by making us believe in all these different ways with lies that Jesus isn't enough, Jesus isn't trustworthy, And Jesus isn't worth following in this moment. In all the subtle ways. Point number two, Jesus and his victory for us. So knowing the strength, anger, and schemes of the devil, how then do we stand? Well, the good news is that we don't stand on our own strength. We're completely dependent on the Lord, which is exactly how we want it to be. So look at verse 10 and 11, then verse 13. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, verse 13, Again, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. So we're commanded, commanded to not be strong on our own, but in the Lord, in the strength of his might, to stand in his strength. We're to put on God's armor. And I think what this is really saying, and I'll show you why, is that Paul is telling us to stand in the strength of the gospel here. I think he's talking about our our union with Christ. Like, we're in him. We belong to him. And we should read verses 14 to 17 with all these pieces of armor, with these various pieces of armor in light of our union with Christ. In other words, by the blood of Jesus, we're now in Christ and have all the benefits of his life and power at work in us by the Holy Spirit. We can see what's true about him, we know what's true about him, and we can stand in the strength that he's already accomplished on our behalf. What I want to show you now is that Jesus wore this armor first as a mighty warrior pictured in the book of Isaiah, and now we get to wear it and stand in his strength as those united with him in the gospel. So Paul is quoting from Isaiah, one of his favorite Old Testament books to show us, remember what Jesus did? Now you get to do that because you're his. You're in him, according to chapters one to three. And kids, I love this picture because you probably mainly think of Jesus as gentle and kind. 
And Jesus is gentle and kind to us, right? He's a, he's a good shepherd, but he's also a mighty warrior to defend us, right? A good shepherd is kind and gentle and takes care of the wounded sheep and carries them when they're hurt. And a, and a good shepherd warrior, right, he kills the lions, right? And he kills the wolves to protect the sheep. And that's the picture of Jesus here. We don't have to fear Satan because Jesus is so much stronger and has already won the victory for us. So let's see these things in Isaiah. And I just love this, and we're going to see this all the time. We're going to get to the book of, the, of Revelation in the new year. And what we're going to see over and over again there is, man, look at how this was already talked about in the Old Testament. And that's what Paul's going to do here over and over again with the book of Isaiah. So first, the belt of truth. In Isaiah 11, a shoot of Jesse, a spirit-anointed Savior, is promised for the people of God to bring about this final salvation. And in Isaiah 11:5, it says this, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness, that's the same idea, the same word for truth, shall be the belt of his loins. In other words, Jesus came to the world as the truth that would shine to the ends of the earth. Prophesied all the way back in Isaiah and Paul saying, now you put that on. <laughs> you be in him. He is the truth. You know the truth. Stand in that. Stand in who he is. Or the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. Listen to Isaiah 59, 16 to 17. It says, then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. <laughs> That's not there by accident. Paul's drawing from that to say Jesus is the promised warrior who are perfect righteousness and salvation that will defeat all the condemnation of your sin and will bring to the world perfect righteousness, perfect salvation to bring them out of darkness and deceit. That's who Jesus is. That's what he did. That's who you are in him. Stand in it. Isn't that good news? Like he's already done this. The victory's already won. Or what about these feet that are clothed with peace? Listen to Isaiah 52, 6 to 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye, they see the return of the Lord to Zion. In other words, Jesus is the one who came proclaiming the good news of peace for salvation. You can have peace with God through me. You've been far off from sin, right? The, the people sitting in darkness have, have seen a great light in the peace they can have with Jesus. And the people here you see, the people of the whole earth, they sing, He's brought peace, he's accomplished peace, and he says, I'm gonna come back and bring perfect peace forever. And the people, what do they do? They sing. That's what you should do when you hear that kind of good news, that no longer you're gonna be on the receiving end of wrath from God, but you have peace with God. And what about the sword of the Spirit, the word of God? Isaiah 49, 2, this same uh, messianic figure, Jesus, we know from the New Testament, says he made my mouth like a sharp sword. We go to Revelation for pictures of this, right? We just read Hebrews, a picture of this. In Isaiah 49, Jesus is sent with sharp words to do what? To call some sinners to repentance, saying, come on in, receive forgiveness, and then anyone who doesn't, to judge the whole world. The mighty warrior who says, come in, receive forgiveness, and if you won't, judgment is coming. We see the same thing in Matthew 4 as Jesus resists and fights temptation with the word 
of God. So South Cities, as we're called to stand in the strength of the Lord, it is good news that our warrior Savior Jesus has already come in perfect truth. He's already come perfect truth. He's already come in perfect righteousness. He's already come bringing the news of perfect peace with God. He's already come speaking the powerful, piercing words of God. He's already come and brought salvation to us. We don't fight against the spiritual forces in our own strength. We fight from a place of victory already secured in Christ. We fight from our union with Christ. And isn't it different? Isn't it different to fight knowing you've already won? Isn't that different? Right? Have you, if you've ever played sports, right? Like when you're in the game against someone that's really, really good and it hangs in the balance, what do you feel? Like there's an intensity, but there's an anxiety, right? Like, man, are we going to win this game or not? How, how is this going to happen? What's going to happen? There's a certain anxiety you live with. And yeah, it creates a kind of adrenaline that's good, but then there's a kind of adrenaline that's bad, right? I don't feel that same kind of adrenaline as I play against Quinn. I just don't, right? I'm not comparing Quinn to Satan. But the point is that I know I win that game if I want to, right? I know that, and so I can play, and it's a lot of fun, but I know, and I I let them win. I'm not saying I just beat my kids every single time. I'm just saying I don't feel that kind of anxiety. Some of you are like, yes, you do. I know you beat your kids. But I don't, not every time. My point is that that kind of opponent, there's certain kinds of opponents where you know, listen, we're going to win. And that's who we're fighting, right? We're fighting someone that we know is already defeated. We're fighting a battle that we know Jesus has already won. So we're not fighting out of a place of anxiety, right? And white knuckledness. We're fighting out of a place of rest and hope and peace and truth that is already ours in Christ. We, we have it, right? We're, we're already seated in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. This is kind of the already not yet that we live in. Our Savior has secured the victory at the cross and rose again on our behalf. It's finished. We're in him bought by his blood and dwelt by his spirit. The spirit lifts our eyes to Jesus in those moments where Satan is roaring and we can say to Satan, we really can say to him, my victory's secure. All you can do is lie to me. All you can do is try to trick me. I know who I am in Jesus, right? I have Ephesians 1 to 3. I know who I am, right? I have peace with God. I know the truth, like Personally, the one who's the way, the truth, and the life. I know him. He lives in me. I have the truth. I'm not guilty. I'm not condemned. I'm righteous before him, clothed in it. I have his words. So get away from me. Get away from me. I'm standing in the strength of my Savior who has already delivered the final blow to you on the cross. It's already finished, Satan. You can't mess with me today. I know the commands of Christ are meant to bring me into the life of Christ, so I'm not going to listen to your lies. He's better. I'm going to seek and live in what is good and right and true and walk in love and light and wisdom that he provides in Christ. That's who we are. That's what we have. That's what Jesus has already fought to win on our behalf. We resist the devil and he will flee from us, and that's how we do it. We call to mind these promises. We call to mind what he's already done. This is what standing in another strength means. Right? Standing in another strength doesn't mean we say that, but then we try to do it on our own. We say that, and then we just 
read our Bible a little bit longer and pray a little bit harder. We should read our Bible and pray, but not white knuckling like if we can accomplish something, right? We don't look to ourselves in any way. We don't promise ourselves this was the last time. We don't hope in some future better version of ourselves that Jesus will finally like. We don't hope and change circumstances. We look to our Savior and his finished victory, and we resist the devil from our union with Christ. We remember we're in him. The victory is ours, and we bring those truths into the battle. The battle in our hearts in that fight at home, the battle in our hearts as we seek to avoid gossip in the workplace, the battle in our hearts, you name it, right? Whatever your battle is. Final point here, the Spirit's power to keep and to send us. So look at verses 17 to 18. Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So I just don't know of a better way to wake up every day and use those right weapons and remind myself of whom I am in Christ than to be a people devoted to the word and prayer. Like, I know it's a Sunday school answer, but I just don't know a better way. If I ever find one out, I'll tell you. But right, it's the word of God is the sword of the spirit. It is the sword. It's, it's, it's how we cut up the lies of the devil, right? There's a reason that Paul says to put to death the deeds of the body by the spirit. How are you going to do that with the sword of the spirit, the word of God, with the, the promises of God? And then this prayer to God echoes the Spirit's confirmation that we belong to him, right? As we pray, the Spirit says, Abba, Father, we belong to you, and it reorients our hearts to his goodness, that his ways are best. And so first, the word. I would just commend to you to read, think about, ponder, meditate on, memorize, and then obey the word of God. Like, obey it, right? That's how it really sinks. And as you read something, go, God is good and right and true. He wants what's good for me. He wants my flourishing. He came to give life and life abundantly. And here's his command, and I'm not obeying it. Think about it, meditate on it, internalize it, and then obey it and walk in true life, right? We go to the word to remember our weapons, right? There are all sorts of lies out there. And so we search the word for the truth, There's all sorts of shame out there. And so we wear his righteousness. We remember it in his word. There's unrest and pain and suffering. And so we go to the word and say, Lord, help me stand in the eternal peace you've given me. There's unbelief and there's temptation. And so we go to the word to find promises so we can take up the shield of faith and put out the flaming darts of the evil one. There's fear and suffering and death and hell. And so we place our hands on the helmet of salvation we see in the word and say, I'm safe. No matter what happens, I'm safe. There's temptation to live in our strength and pride, and so we ask for the Spirit to strengthen us to fight by the Word and through prayer. So as you go to the Word, you remember the weapons, you remember the promises, and you stand in the battle that Jesus has already won. And as you go to the Word, you're going to see how real and how big the war is and how sinful you are and how strong Satan is, and what are you going to do? You're going to ask for help, right? Like, what if you had someone, just imagine you did, that was all-powerful and could change all things and you had 24-7 access to, right? Just imagine that, like you had that. Wouldn't you ask them for help? 
Right? Wouldn't you ask them for, for mercy and grace and well-timed help? Like, Lord, I sinned again. Please be merciful and help me, Lord. I'm tempted again. Please give grace, Lord. Here it comes again. I need well-timed help. Wouldn't you do that? And you have that, right? We have 24-7 access that as we see the promises and as we see the sin and as we see the temptation, as we're in the battle, we can just go, help, <laughs> help me. I need your help. You're going to look around in this room at your brothers and sisters. You're going to look around in your neighborhoods. You're going to look around in your workplaces. You're going to look around as you read and hear stories from our global partners to the nations. And you're going to see the havoc that sin and Satan are creating, the blindness that's there. And you're going to ask for help, right? What else could you do? You're going to ask for power to put on the armor and stand on the promises and fight. Kids, you're so great at this. If you have a really big problem you can't figure out on your own, what do you do? You just ask for help. I love it. Kids, never stop asking for help. Never get tricked into thinking asking for help makes you look weak. It doesn't. At some point along the line, your parents and I, we started thinking when we ask for help, we look weak. And when it's not what it is. Weakness is not asking for help. Asking for help is saying, I need someone else's strength. I need help here to keep fighting, to keep going. Paul is saying here that the Spirit empowers prayer and accomplishes the purpose of God in prayer. That's why he says, pray at all times, for all things, with all perseverance, for all the saints. I think the four alls mean we should pray a lot <laughs> about a lot of different things. You should pray quick arrow prayers. You should set aside time to pray because if we're awake to the war, we realize it's everywhere and we need the victory of truth and righteousness and peace and salvation of God to invade the darkest places in our hearts and the darkest places in the world. Notice in verses 19 and 20 that the abiding in Christ and the word in prayer is going to lead us to want to advance the kingdom of God, right? There's fellowship with Christ in the word in prayer that fuels the fight of the kingdom. As we remember, we have victory in Christ. We're going to want that victory for other people, we're going to, right? We're going to want to open our mouths and tell others about all that is good and right and true in Jesus and the gospel. We're going to want to call them to, to see the lies of their sin and the hate of Satan and come to the beauty of forgiveness and the love of Christ. We're going to want that, right? Because we're going to see we have it. We're going to be in this fight, helped by other people. We're going to go, I want you to come in. I want you to get help. I want you to have rest, right? In other words, Paul is saying here, the church advances against the darkness, not ultimately by savvy posts or politics, but by the simple living and stating the truth of the gospel. That's how it's going to keep happening. And then the church is going to rally together in speaking and praying for the truth of the gospel to go forward. Right? We see that even in verses 21 to 22. Paul says, I wrote this to you so you'd know how I'm doing. <laughs> So you could pray for me. You'd be encouraged by what God's doing and so that you'd know how I'm doing so that you could pray for me. So one application for us is pray for each other. Now pray for each other as we seek to fight the fight of faith. Pray for each other as you're seeking to share the gospel with your neighbors and at your workplaces. Have other people in on your prayers and your burdens. Pray for our global partners as they seek to shine the light of the gospel in hard places. Find a few people to share your life with in prayer. Find a few people to enter the fight of faith with you that can pray for you as you seek to share the gospel. Get on our app. And some of you don't like apps, but still get on our app. And if you're a member, you can check out the prayer requests and the praises that come through. Or you can ask for help. And like yesterday, as I was preparing this, I just hopped on there to see it was there. And there was this awesome praise. 
Like, hey, thank you for praying. Here's what God has done. Here's a way that Christ has had a, a victory in our lives. Like, that's encouraging, right? That we can share our prayer requests and we can see praises. Fill out a prayer request like Peter said in the welcome so we can enter in to pray with you. So South Cities, if we're awake to the war, we need the daily rhythm of persistent prayer and the precious promises from the word of God to put on the armor of our Savior and to fight in his strength against the schemes of the devil. We cannot defeat him alone. We need to stand in his strength and with each other in his strength. And by the daily rhythms of the word and prayer, we can put on the armor of Christ and experience the reality that greater is he that is in us than he who is in the world. South Cities, we are chosen people before the foundation of the world. We are predestined unto adoption as sons and daughters. We are redeemed by his blood, lavished with his grace, sealed with his Holy Spirit, kept by the Holy Spirit, promised an eternal inheritance, good works prepared before and to walk in, filled with all the fullness of God, called to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, called to walk in love and light and wisdom, called to say all that is good and right and true and do all that is good and right and true and make beautiful all that is good and right and true and then called to stand in all of that in the strength of our Savior until the day that he brings us home. Right? This is a letter meant to say, South City's Church, know who you are, know what you're called to, and know that I'm calling you to a fight that's already been won in Jesus. It's yours. Be confident, be assured, get up and keep walking in the good works I've prepared before and did you as a chosen son or daughter of the Most High King. Let me pray. So Lord, now we're going to come and uh, we get to eat and drink with you, to remember your death and resurrection until you come again. Lord, I don't know exactly the spiritual battle everybody's in in this room. I don't know the the despair and suffering. I don't know the temptation and sin of everyone, but I, I know enough examples to know that there's pain in this room, there's disease in this room, there's sadness in this room, there's loneliness in this room, there's sin in this room, there's decades-long sin in this room, there's hopelessness in this room over suffering or patterns of sin, there's this all sorts of stuff. And yet, Lord, I know by your grace and mercy right now, because Jesus has made a way, you want to pour out grace, mercy, and well-timed help for every son or daughter of yours in this room right now. You want to. So, Lord, do that by your spirit right now. Help us stand in your strength. Help us know the truth. Help us stand in the peace. Help us stand in our righteousness. Help us stand in our salvation. Lord, help us stand in the the peace we have with you. And Lord, as we stand in it, help us want to also bring others into it with us. So we need your help. We just confess. We can't do this on our own. We confess that there are, are things in our life that we've just been stuck in for too long. There's places in our heart that have grown cold and callous. There's places in our lives and our hearts where we believe the whisper of Satan So right now, would you bring about a sweet grace of rest and repentance among your people? 
Lord, the kind of rest and repentance that comes from knowing all Satan has are lies and that we can right now walk into the light of the truth. Lord, whether that means trusting again that you're for us and you're good, Lord, whether that means remembering that our identity is secure in you and what matters is what you think of us, not what others think of us, Lord, whether that means right now, uh, Lord, trusting you to help us fight again that sin, to resist temptation further this time, Lord, whether that means to, uh, Lord, lay down our comforts and our pride in our bitterness, in our gossip, Lord, and instead walk in your truth, Lord. Whether that means repentance, Lord, I don't know what it means, but Lord, please come now. You've already won the battle. Supply your spirit. Bring about rest and repentance in your people, I pray, as we come to eat and drink with you. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, who's won the battle for us. Amen. So if you're... Uh, not able to come up, you can raise your hand and we'll bring the elements to you. If you just prefer to sit, you can raise your hand and we'll bring the elements to you. If you're here and you're not yet trusting in Jesus, um, just have you pass on this meal. This is a meal for those who are trusting in Jesus and his victory on the cross and on, in the resurrection on our behalf. But if you're here not trusting him, we'd love to talk to you. You can talk to anyone around you or come up to the front at the end with the prayer team and talk to them. We'd love to talk to you about Jesus. If you're here and there's some sin in your life that you're not yet willing to lay at the foot of the cross, um, have, ask you to not take this. We can't pretend to fellowship with Jesus while we happily fellowship with our idols. And so we just ask you, uh, praying all week, that this would be the moment of repentance for you. This would be the moment where Satan's lies are, are seen to be what they are and that the truth of Christ would come in and there'd just be sweet repentance and sweet fellowship with Jesus in this moment. But if you're not yet willing to do that, don't take this. And finally, if you're here and there's some bitterness or hard-heartedness against others in this body, this is meant to be a meal to show our unity in Jesus. And I say it every week, we're going to be different in a lot of things, have different opinions about a lot of things, but this meal shows that we're unified in the victory that is ours in Jesus Christ alone. Um, so don't take it if there's some bitterness you can't yet lay down. But I've been praying this would be the moment where Satan would, uh, Satan's lies of um, anger and bitterness and wrath and clamor would be undone and the, the truth of forgiveness and repentance and reconciliation might come in and there'd be sweet fellowship with God and each other again. So if you're here and you're in the fight and you need to be reminded that the battle's been won, and you're, you need to look forward to the day where Jesus returns, and you need more strength for the battle and more sanctifying grace, this is a meal for weak sinners who need that help, like we all do, week by week by week. So why don't you bow your heads, and I'll read the words of institution. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So talk to Jesus, lay down sins and sufferings and burdens, and then come and eat and drink with him. And when you're done, be ready to rejoice in all that he's done for us.